0: Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the call Migrants in Africa and COVID-19 from emergency measures to inclusive social protection system. My name is Camilla Coase and I'm a policy analyst at the Migration Policy Institute. First, a housekeeping note. If you have any technical problem, please email events at migrationpolicy.org or call the number indicated on this slide. We will have a q at the end of the call. There won't be a voice Q&A, but please type any question into the Q&A chat box on the right side of your screen and send to the host or email question to events at migrationpolicy.org. You can also tweet your question at migrationpolicy or hashtag MPI discuss. Audio from today's webinar will be available later at migrationpolicy.org events. Today, we welcome three very special guests. Sofina Nasher, who is the Acting Regional Director for Western Central Africa for the International Organization for Migration. Philip Bob who is socioeconomist at the African Union. And Andrew Allion, who is a senior protection specialist from the Decent Work Team for Eastern and Southern Africa at the International Labor Organization. We're here today to discuss a reply to COVID-19 by African states, aid organizations, and international organizations such as the african African Union. To what extent these answers have been inclusive of migrants and the implications for the future of mobility and migration in Africa. In the past few months, most African states closed their border in an attempt to contain COVID-19 halting cross-border trade and pastoral corridors. This has resulted in the loss of livelihood that has been devastating for many. According to economic forecasts, COVID-19 should result in the first recession in sub-Saharan Africa in 25 years. Across the continent, the situation left tens of thousands stranded and many more in need of emergency assistance for shelter, health care, and food. But already under the pressure to deliver health services and emergency safety net for their citizens, all countries often lack like the capacity and the resources to support migrants, especially the ones who are in transit or informal workers without legal status. Today, first, we'll discuss the challenges faced by these migrants in border town and urban center and the emergency assistance that has been deployed with the help of humanitarian and development actors, countries of origin, host countries, civil society, including diaspora. We will then talk about the broader question this crisis raises, and most specifically social protection system in Africa and how inclusive they are for migrants. In many ways, the crisis has confirmed the need for a more solid and more inclusive system. There have been many progress made in this area in the past two decades. Including in terms of social safety net programs, but more could be done to build systems that include migrants and to strengthen cooperation between states, especially between countries belonging to the same regional economic community. But first, I will let Sofina and Masha tell us about the situation in West and Central Africa. What have been the pressing needs experienced by migrants in those communities, and how IOM and other government and non-government actors have responded? Sophie is the acting regional director for Western Central Africa at IOM. She's a specialist in migration policy and has been working for IOM since 2007. Since 2000. In 2009, she was appointed aide of regional counter-trafficking for Asia Pacific at IOM Bank of regional office and in 2011 became regional, became senior regional policy and liaison officer for Asia and the Pacific and in 2017 for Western Central Africa. Sophie, the floor is six years.
1: Thank you. And, uh, thank you very much uh, for providing me with an opportunity to, pro- to give an overview on the situation of migration and COVID in the context of West and Central Africa. I would like to start maybe to uh, remind you of the importance of migration in the region to better understand why it's so important to speak about that topic today. In fact, for West and Central Africa, I think migration and mobility is really crucial. It's part of the identity of the region, but also it's uh, essential for the development of the economy of the region. And currently, with what we can say, its migration provides a livelihood strategy for millions of people. Just as a reminder, it's important to have in mind figures. So there's currently about 95 million Western Central African migrants in the region. But on top of that, you also have to keep in mind that there are 20 million individuals which are relying on pastoralism for their livelihood. And for these people, it's really important to be able to be mobile internally, as well as internationally. These categories of people on the move shall not make us forget that there's also 6 million internally displaced persons due to crisis in this region. So with this figure, it's not very difficult to understand the impact that has had the travel restriction and other measures taken by government to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the region and the mobility landscape of the region. And these restrictions have disproportionately affected migrants as well as IDPs. These measures, as you mentioned on the introduction, had a serious socioeconomic impact for millions of people. And as we speak, There are currently about 30,000 migrants stranded at borders and nearly 2,000 people waiting in transit centers in the region. So what can we say in terms of challenges and needs of migrants? I think first it's important to put also the COVID-19, which is a public health crisis in the context of Western Central Africa, because countries and governments in this region are affected by the COVID-19. But before this situation, they were already addressing a number of serious challenges. The challenges were ranging from food insecurity, as well as insecurity due, for example, to intercommunal tensions and violent extremism. So how does it impact migrants in a very crooked manner? First, what you have to understand is that most of the Australian migrants in the region, they have lost their job or income, and this prevents them from access to a certain number of health or other protection services. What can be said as well is governments in this region, they have followed the WHO guidelines, which says that uh, there should be put in place free testing and free treatment in relation to a pandemic like COVID-19. So this is in place. However, the information about this opportunity doesn't necessarily reach out migrants, which in fact, affect them in the way they access the services. And finally, one other thing that is important to have in mind is. Many migrants in the region have, are irregular and they may fear to reach out for help because of the situation, because they fear that if they ask, uh, they ask for access to these services, they might be arrested or face detention or deportation. So, given this uh, current situation, what can be put in place and what we see as a priority of IOM? So, for us, One of the first priority is really about the inclusion of migrants in national national COVID-19 responses. Indeed, priority should be given to the protection of migrants' well-being and to provide them with safe access to basic services, including COVID-19 treatment and prevention services. This is particularly important for migrants in an irregular situation. I think at this stage of the crisis, I think priority should be given to a public, uh, public health uh, and the importance of public health for the entire population. As long as in this region there will be uh, migrants will have no access to these services, I think uh, what is at stake is a protection from COVID from the, uh, for the entire population. When we Speak about uh, migrants and uh, the importance of inclusion in national COVID-19 response, it's also uh, important to understand that it's not just about access to health and health services, it's also about finding solutions uh, to try to remedy uh, to the impact of some of the response to mobility. So, to just give some concrete example for IOM, for instance, in Niger, what we did because we saw, in fact, an increase of population in transit centers. You have to remember that there's a certain uh, number of routes and itineraries, uh, which goes uh, to Libya, North Africa. And you have migrants which have been stranded in this region and wanted to go back home in their countries of origin. But they could not do so because the border were closed. So for these people, uh, they, come, they came to a transit center, which are run by IOM and the government. And what we see is that these transit centers are becoming very crowded and we put in place uh, social distancing type of measures and we also strengthen infection prevention and controls in centers. This is just one example. Another example about addressing the situation for migrants is also to allow them to return in, but this has to be done in a safe manner. So, so far what we did is uh, we were able to uh, return 1,000, sorry, 700 stranded migrants through assisted voluntary return to the countries of origin and this this in the beginning of the outbreak. We were able to do so because government supported us and opened some humanitarian corridors. However, I think this can be done only if uh, the proper sanitary measures are in place. For this moment, we made sure that uh, every migrant benefited from prior health assessment, and they were also put in current time upon arrival. A second priority uh, is really for us to strengthen disease surveillance at borders so that borders can be reopened as quickly and safely as possible. Why is this important? As I mentioned in the beginning, I think it's because Cross border trade is crucial for the region. It represents about 12% of the region's overall trade value. So, reopening borders is the only way to boost the economy and to enable millions of households to rebuild their livelihoods and therefore give them the possibility to access services. So, as an organization, what do we do to support uh, the government effort uh, in this direction? In fact, IWAM, we are helping health authorities across the region and in particularly at the, in border areas to assess the health of travelers by providing equipment, training to border agents, as well as through community engagement activities. And, <clears throat> and maybe the final point and the final pri- priority I would like to flag today, is really the importance of paying more attention to the vulnerabilities of IDPs in the region. I mentioned that there are about 6.6 million IDPs in the region, and these IDPs are almost exclusively reliant on humanitarian aid, which has also been impacted by restrictions on mobility. So IDPs who have previously been able to earn wages through the informal local labor market to supplement aid received are now unable to do so, given restrictions on entry and exit from many IDP camps throughout the region. Additionally, stigmatization of IDPs by host communities fearful of the pandemic and concern over resources and service trends has further reduced ability of IDPs to avail themselves of livelihood services, as well as social, social protection mechanism locally. So here again, to give you an example of what can do an international organization to try to remedy the situation. Uh, IOM in Nigeria is the north of the country we, for example, in a camp situation, we try to identify the most vulnerable people. So for instance, we have identified more than 4,000 elderly people in camps and camp life settings, And to protect them from the risk of infection, we, we developed and set up individual shelters. We have also installed hand washing stations, and we are currently supporting the construction of 19 quarantine shelters. And we are also rehabilitating buildings to accommodate IDPs of of overcrowded campsites. These are just a few concrete examples. A last example I would like to give because I think it's important when we speak about COVID and we don't necessarily speak about the impact of this uh, pandemic on psychosocial health of the migrants and the IDP. So we are also putting a lot of emphasis through our awareness raising campaign to reach out uh, community and family and to support them, including in terms of psychosocial support. To conclude, what I want to say, is it's true that this pandemic is uh, a very challenging for all the region of the world and uh, Western Central Africa is not an exception, but it's also important to uh, maybe to uh, think of it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity in fact, in setting up universal social protection system that will help the most vulnerable access, basic goods and services to get through the crisis. It's also an opportunity to build more inclusive society by explicitly including them in national preparedness, response, recovery plans, regardless of the status.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Sophie, for this comprehensive overview um, of the situation experienced by migrants in the region a region that depends so much on free movement and mobility. I would now like to turn to Philippe Babjusu to speak about the response of the African Union and African government to the crisis and how migrants have been integrated in these responses. Philippe Babjusu works as a socioeconomic at the permanent mission of the African Union to the European Union and ACP Group of States since August 2016. He has over 13 years experience as a development practitioner and has been instrumental in the implementation of various initiatives within the AUEU Migration Partnership Framework. Philippe, I'll let you speak.
2: thank you. Thank you very much, Camille.
3: Um, dear colleagues, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, from wherever you are joining us from. Um, first of all, I, will, I hope that you and your families are well in the face of a very complex situation the world is confronted with. It is good to know that for us in Europe, restrictions are easing, although we almost remain vigilant. I believe that the purpose of this event is not to cover every response mechanism across Africa, as we don't have the answers to all the issues. But I will attempt to share hindsight based on common aspects we have been observing, continuous feedback from member states, and relationship with a range of stakeholders throughout Africa. The question is What is the response of the African Union and how it has encouraged further cooperation between states on the issue of COVID? I would like to state that since the start of the pandemic, the African Union has been highly mobilized to the best of our ability to provide overall direction to member states on the management of COVID 19, including a range of technical services and practical solutions. We have been guided by a high degree of humility due to the many unknowns of this pandemic. For this reason, we have been seized with two main issues. One is strengthening of migration infrastructure for humanitarian mobility and positioning the Africa CDC as the continent's premium response mechanism. On the issue of migration infrastructure, the African Union has ensured that the infrastructure is mobilized and reinforced across the continent. By infrastructure, I mean the technologies, institutions, and actors that facilitate and condition mobility, such as public transportation systems, international air travel, bureaucrats, social systems, etc., to enable stranded migrants to return home. On the position of Africa Center for Disease Control, the African Union immediately kicks the center into action to build and strengthen the capacity of public institutions to dictate and respond quickly and effectively to the COVID outbreak. Those we have provided the following. One, we have established technical task force in all 55 member states. We have trained over 2,800 healthcare workers specifically for COVID-19. We have distributed over 600,000 test kits to 50 member states. We have successfully deployed frontline responders from the Democratic Republic of Congo to Burkina Faso Cameroon, Mali, and Niger. We have also established a COVID response fund. The purpose of this fund is to support continental full procurement of logistics to mitigate the pandemic, socioeconomic, and humanitarian impacts on the continent. We have also established what we call PACT, partnership to accelerate COVID-19 testing. PACT has three components, test, trace, and trace testing to diagnose cases, tracing to identify cases and their contacts, and treating to provide treatment and supportive care to cases. We believe that the effort of one set of actors have a greater impact when linked with the work of others. Hence, the issue of partnership is very important to us. Then finally, we have established a solidarity fund and assembled what everybody is referring to as an all-star team to work with external partners and international financial institutions to deliver concrete support to member states. That is what the AU has done. On how African countries have integrated migrants in their national response plans to the pandemic. It is important to note here that the integration of migrants in national response plans is not done in isolation of the broader response mechanism. Therefore, member states are taking a structured, emergency, medium and long-term approach that is multisectoral and multidimensional focusing on health and social protection. With respect to emergency measures, member states are facilitating repatriation of migrants from across the world, mostly, as Sophie mentioned, in partnership with IOM, and we are granting them access to a range of social protection measures. Without apparent prioritization, I would like to say that the European government has facilitated the return of thousands of migrants and are providing them with diverse flexible instruments that will be critical to livelihood recovery. In Malawi, the government is treating the issue of migrants as an emergency measure under the Ministry of Disaster and are providing support for special visa clearance of all who want to return, including bus transportation from South Africa to Malawi. The government of Sierra Leone has effected on earmarked cash transfers for returnees. In Kenya, the government is setting up migrants relief funds to target returnees. The point I'm trying to make, to, to state, the point I'm trying to make is that. All across the continent, returnees are screened and tested upon arrival, and we are necessary immediately taken to quarantine centers and provided with food and other basic necessities. In partnership with IOM and civil society, governments across Africa are providing food, cash programming, mental health and psychosocial support, PPEs to migrants. COVID has also demonstrated the importance of leveraging already established networks of families, civil societies, communities, and diaspora to provide social protection to returning migrants. Here's a very important point I would like to state, which is beyond Africa CDC and prior to COVID-19, the African Union had formulated and adopted various instruments and policy frameworks that cater to migrant protection. Namely, the social policy framework for Africa, we have the migration policy framework for Africa, we have the joint labor migration program, we have the Abuja Declaration, And most importantly, we have Agenda agenda 2063. At the same time, AU member states are also signatories to the Global Compact on Migration. We all know that the GCM recognizes shared responsibility as being critical to commitment by states to provide migrants with essential services and to facilitate safe and dignified returns. With respect to the Abuja Declaration, in 2001, AU member states pledged to allocate at least 15% of their annual budget to improve health sector. COVID-19 has registered a sense of urgency to honor that commitment. So what is the result so far across the continent and what's our overall assessment? We have observed that one, there are exciting initiatives in certain countries that could be upscaled across the continent, including effective alignment of political and humanitarian strategies. We've also observed a combination of formal and informal care to enhance social protection and social integration of migrants. Member states are also accelerating the implementation of various AU initiatives aimed at strengthening institutional capacities, and structures. And finally, member states are leveraging past experiences, promoting a science-based approach, tapping civil society leaders, and unifying political class. For the for the segment of this presentation, I would say our conclusion is that there has been proactive reaction by member states to the issue of migrant protection in this pandemic, with a short-term emergency lens while at the same time observing more structural changes. The African Union is following this from a challenge perspective, but also from the perspective of new opportunities emerging. While we are advocating for immediate actions, we are at the same time advocating for significant and long-term interventions and a paradigm shift in the way we look at social protection for migrants in Africa. I would like to stop here so far and say thank you, hoping to receive comments, to respond to comments and other questions that may arise. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, you, Philip, for this thorough presentation of the new initiative by the African Union and the answer of African states. And finally, I would like to give the floor to Andrew Alio to conclude with a few thoughts about the long term implication of the crisis for social protection of migrants in Africa. Andrew Alio is senior social protection specialist at the International Labour Organization and first joined the ILO in 2009. I'll also remind you that you can send your question in the Q&A box on the right side of screen. Andrew, I'll leave it to you.
4: Thank you very much, Camille.
2: Um, Good morning, afternoon, evening, everybody. And um,
4: thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, based on the notes, the speakers' notes. I was expected to put things in perspective and also talk about uh, what what is being done in uh, within the framework of the Joint Labour Migration from project. Uh, in particular, the uh, pillar two that talks about promoting decent work for regional integration, inclusive development. And spe- specifically, 2.2 uh, 2, 2. 2 of pillar 2 that talks about uh, extending social security to migrant workers to uh, portability regimes. Uh, just as a reminder, the GLMP Is uh, adopted by African heads of states and governments in 2018 as a comprehensive program for labor migration governance in Africa. Uh, It's uh, implemented by ILB and the U.S. About the uh, uh, social protection COVID response, more than to web. As late June, uh, about 48% uh, of countries in Africa announced measures, uh, social protection measures in response to COVID. Uh, that gives us a sum. And um, uh, interestingly, I'm, about 70% of those measures are uh, related to new programs. Sorry, uh, I can Hi, uh, I think we can't. may try and, Sorry, I think we may try and... Uh, Do you lose me?
0: Yes, we're losing you a bit. I'm going to try and reconnect with you on a separate point. Uh, Camille, maybe you can go to some of the questions in the meantime. Sure, I will do that. Um, Yes, apologies for for this, um, for for the lack of connectivity. So, um, we have a number of questions already um, on the topic of the tension between migrants and communities and the benefit these groups can gain access to uh, either as a result of government packages or the assistance provided by aid organizations. Um, I was wondering, Sophie, if you could maybe say a few words of what you have witnessed in West Africa in terms of this tension and how IOM has tried to mitigate this tension between these different groups. Thank you. Uh, I,
1: think that this, this, I think first I think it's important to uh, uh, keep also in mind that uh, some of these tensions uh, were already uh, before COVID-19 and were just exacerbated uh, by the crisis. So concretely, what we do, I think it's really important first to have a, a good understanding of the disease. Uh, it's uh, way of dissemination. So we are really uh, focusing on uh, giving a global understanding of the host communities and the migrant and the IDP on what is exactly COVID-19 and also what is their capacity to access services in this context. We are also doing a focus group discussion, especially in border areas, to try to mitigate, mitigate this tension and to try to understand that uh, we are all being host community and migrants who are facing the same challenges or similar challenges in the context of this pandemic.
0: Thank you very much. um we also have a few questions about the impact of the economic crisis on social protection system in Africa in general, and more specifically uh for migrants and what it means for, for all these societies um Philip, maybe could you tell us what your witnesses from the African Union side?
3: Um, yes, camille, I think one thing we probably need to understand um is that at the moment there are a lot of good examples. Member States are trying to live up to expectations to step up to the plate. But this is creating increasing demand and it's putting strain on existing facilities. We we have to understand that COVID nineteen reached us in the context of many vulnerabilities. You know, before it came, we already had low cost in East Africa, we had a series of hurricanes in Southern Africa, we had climate change impacts which already had impacted health and social economic sectors. So there, it's no surprise here that um, the issue has been very challenging. At the same time, for us, like I said, um, um, we are looking ahead. Our message is that the member states' response and recovery strategies are going to be combined with transformative approaches. So basically, what we are trying to say is that um, yes, we have challenges. There, we have economic challenges. We have health challenges. We have among three economic challenges, but we want to use this opportunity. And like I said earlier in my presentation, member states are now trying to see how they could rally around among policy instruments, frameworks, you know, that have been accepted, that have been adopted by them. We're talking about social protection framework, ILO, IOM are coming within the space to make sure that among the help member states. The African Union is also there positioning itself as the continental premium organization to build and enhance the capacity of member states in addressing these challenges. Yes, there are challenges, but we are trying to make sure that the provisions to migrants are non-excludable. By non-excludable we mean that the returnees the migrants have access to a range of facilities regardless of their ability and like I mentioned earlier, we are seeing this across a
2: range of Member states. We only hope that we could build on them going forward. thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, I have another question for Sophie uh, about the response by ECOWAS to the situation. Um, a few people have asked what, yeah, how ECOWAS had reacted to the situation and whether there had been a discussion on reopening border uh, and how IOM and other actors had supported this effort. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, in fact, for
1: ECOWAS, uh, as you know, they have this uh, free movement protocol which allows the mobility across the region. Uh, however, ECOWAS is also run by the uh, principle of uh, national sovereignty. So what they did, I think, uh, they uh, really uh, let uh, to the member states decide what is the best measures given their particular context in the region. And in fact, I think currently it's what we are doing with ECOVAS, we are working with them to try to understand what kind of measures, what kind of standard operating uh, procedures could be put in place, especially at the point of entry in the region to allow movement and uh, mobility to happen again, and this in a safe manner. So what does it mean? That means, for example, to put in place a tracking mechanism to try to uh, track uh, movement of people to. So, if there's a positive case, we can access the community uh, which is affected, the contact person, and uh, do testing, but also provide that, the, that they can have access to uh, the treatment. So, this is one thing. And here, again, it's about the information, information also of border agents about uh, the importance of these measures, these preventive measures, to make sure that the cross-border movements are safe. Uh, we are currently working on it, and uh, I think uh, they, are, they are really uh, mindful of uh, the importance of this mobility, and I think they are currently working uh, on a phase uh, approach for the reopening of borders. But I think all will depend on uh, national assessment of the current situation. For Western Central Africa, what, what you have to have in mind, is currently we didn't really uh, – we are not at the peak of the pandemic. We see the number increasing. We have about more than 70,000 positive cases in the region. So I think it will be about a timely response when the time will be right. So I think this is exactly what we are doing and are discussing with ECOWAS at the moment. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I have another question from a participant. um, on This immigration procedures that were set up, you mentioned expedited visa clearance for for Malawi. philip, do you know whether these are first um or whether these mechanisms were tested before and whether they will be at temporary and you know what is the timeline for these measures
2: um, my
3: my understanding is um um of course for southern africa probably across across um, uh, the whole of africa this 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 will have been the first. But um, um, I know that um, uh, since these um, uh, issues came, since um, uh, the government of Malawi decided to undertake these initiatives, um, uh, people have been returning. Because I recall that like two or three days ago, there was a plane load of false returnees from South Africa. And government officials were at the airport to receive them, screen and test them and take them to quarantine centers for those that have to be taken to quarantine centers. Uh, but the point um, uh, I would like to make here is that um, uh, of course it's good that Sophie had already highlighted that. Whilst um, uh, ECOWAS as a secretariat is working on ensuring that um, uh, mobility becomes um, uh, becomes mobility mobility. Mobility again um, uh, facilitated across the region. I think we also have to recognise the fact that certain um, rec uh, have been trying to see how this was possible. Because between East Africa as well as West Africa, I know of cases wherein in, member states are transporting goods through a process called relay. You know, the trucks will come, they stop at the border, then the other drivers will come in and take it. So if you are coming from one country, let's say you are coming from Kili, you leave the truck at the border, you don't have to enter Cerulean, then the driver from Cerulean will take the truck and deliver it to wherever it has to be delivered. So these are processes, mechanisms that member states had put in place to make sure that they, um, they go around you know, they go they go around the system instead of prohibiting mobility. But people have been moving across the continent, and I think also the 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 example from Malawi is very good because one thing we have come to realise is that yes, in as much as we consider COVID as a foreign disease, wherein its migrants that are bringing it, but communities have also been open to receiving their people. I think this is this is this is something that should that, that we should applaud and, and the example
2: from Malawi is quite laudable. Thank you.
0: Hi Philip, so would you mind maybe repeating the last part of your answer? I'm afraid you were cutting.
3: I was I was saying um, um the example from Malawi is quite laudable because even though, yes, we understand that COVID is a foreign disease to Africa, because it was imported to Africa by people who were not staying within the continent, yes, among communities have been able, have been open to receiving their loved ones, because I've seen it across, across the whole of Africa, from Malawi to Ethiopia to Sierra Leone to Ghana to Nigeria. Communities are open to, to, to welcoming their loved ones, so the initiative by Malawi to facilitate visa for people that want to come back. It's a very laudable venture and it has, it's not only happening in Malawi, it has happened in Ethiopia. I know it has happened in Sierra Leone and other places. So yes, I think these are initiatives that should be, that I say should be, should be applauded and probably loaded and emulated across other places where we are facing challenges.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I now have a few questions about uh, cash transfer programs uh, that have been expanded as a result of COVID. Um, I don't know if uh, maybe Sophie, you want to start, and maybe Philip, you have a take on that, um, because there's been a number of cash transfer programs that have been expanded or set up to reply to uh, to the crisis, and some of them uh, sometimes benefited to migrants. Uh, I don't know, Sophie, if this is some, you know, mechanism that IOM has supported, and if you have example of the, such mechanism.
1: Thank you. And In fact, I, I have concrete example. I think uh, one of the uh, most important uh, flows that uh, IOM supported was the return of uh, migrants uh, from, uh, like, uh, Niger, Libya, and, uh, and Mali uh, to their countries of origin. I think. Since In 2017, we returned voluntarily more than 80,000 migrants, and uh, we did so in a manner to also support them in terms of reintegration. So we had envisaged a different manner to support their reintegration, especially through training, support to small businesses etc however given the restriction in mobility we saw that it was very difficult uh, for migrants and for us to put in place uh, this traditional reintegration program so what we did is in fact for certain in certain countries for instance like in the Ivory Coast or Senegal we provided uh, Family basket and a cash grant uh, to some of these returnees because they are very vulnerable. They just returned from a very uh, difficult situation and they have very limited resources uh, for securing a livelihood. So we thought that it was the most appropriate uh, way to address their, very, uh, you know, their, very, their everyday need in this current situation. Thank you.
0: Thank you. But do you have anything to add on this matter?
2: Yeah, um I
3: would like to say that in addition to what the partners are doing, I know of a concrete example wherein the government of Sierra Leone, from its national budget, has been catering for returnee migrants, and as recent as last week, they actually did some cash transfer on mapped on their cash transfer to returnees, about eighty or hundred returnees who had come from Kuwait, you know so I think um, this is something I know of,
2: and I'm sure it has been happening across other, other countries on the continent.
0: Thank you. I have another question about the role that trade unions and consulate have played uh, in supporting migrants, especially the one who've lost their job, and you know, to discuss about the responsibilities that employers have towards their former employee. Um, Sophie, is that maybe something you want to comment on first, and then I'll move to Philippe. Thank,
1: thank you. Uh, so the role of uh, trade unions, uh, and I'm sorry, I think the the, the uh, your voice were a little
0: bit uh, blurred. So it was the role of trade unions and. And consulates, um, if trade unions in Nash, you know in our countries and consulates uh, of the different countries of origin have been involved um, in supporting migrants and also maybe negotiating with employers who, um, yeah, who, with former employers.
1: In fact, as IOM, I think we've been working extensively with consular services, uh, especially for them to uh, provide the necessary documents to allow for travel. And uh, in particular, when in situation where uh, humanitarian corridors were open, opened to uh, basically allow movement back to the countries of origin. Uh, we also have been working with the uh, civil society uh, to try uh, for association to also reach out uh, more to migrants and to include migrants in vulnerable situations in uh, the solution and uh, the support services that they were provided to the more vulnerable communities in countries. I have no particular uh, example for trade unions, but I'm sure that uh, my colleague from ILO will be able to address that.
0: Thank you. Thanks. I don't know, Philip, if you have something to add. Uh, We're actually trying to get Andrew back on the line. Uh, He's calling from Addis, and the connection has not been great.
3: Yeah, uh, what I would like to add to that is, um, um, first, to. to support the point that Sophie made, that um, uh, the consulates have been facilitating the return of migrants, but we also, in terms of negotiating with former employees, I think one thing we have to understand is that, um, uh, particularly migrants from Africa, you know, people they've been, they've not gone. It's not like most of them that are in Europe or in the US, where in you have governments coming in to follow workers. That is not the case. That is not the case in the Middle East or, or probably all of Africa. And it's also the situation that most of the people that the migrants have been working for, say domestic migrants, labour migrants have been working for, have also lost their jobs. And these are people in regular positions who did not get any benefit. They've been laid off, you know. So it will be very difficult for for the consulates, you know, to negotiate with former employers. But one thing I know with respect to trade unions, I know that, um, um, for instance, again, let me come to the to the um, um, to the case of to the example of Sierra Leone. I know that um, uh, within the context of what we are discussing, but this is basically the issue of um, uh, not external returnees but internal returnees. Migrants who moved from one region to the other, who have established businesses like small and medium enterprises that have gone out of business. I know that quite recently the government of Australia has taken a decision to provide support to these people. So whether it falls within the whether it falls within, um, uh, it 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 falls within the scope of what we are discussing is something else, you know, but I know that um, some governments are, are making efforts to cushion the effects of COVID-19 on, on small and medium term enterprises. And we also have to understand that some of these small and medium enterprises are also owned and established by migrants. They might not be external migrants, but they might be re- internal migrants moving who are moved from one region of the country to another to establish or to work in, um, in, in, in certain businesses.
0: Thank you very much, Philip. I think we have Andrew back on the line, um, so we'll give it another try, um, provided the, the connection with Addis uh, is a bit better this time.
4: Uh, thank you very much, and uh, apologies for the the, uh, the internet challenges. Yeah, uh, just uh, because we have run out of time, just to go quickly through. I was saying that the, the response generally on the continent in terms of social protection has been, uh, by many levels, impressive. About 40, 48 countries on the continent, which is about 90%, have uh, has uh, have had, uh, had announced measures. As at nine, the the latest update we have on the ILO COVID monitor, uh, and about. Uh, these countries have, in total, announced about uh, 170 me- measures, of which uh, 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 70% are related to the setting number of new programs or new benefits. Uh, yes, uh, uh, if I could give further uh, statistics, um, about it, it, uh, about 84% of the COVID response measures relate to to uh, Non-contributory social yeah, or social protection that that, that falls with, within cash transfers and and uh, and only six percent are actually uh, contributory in terms of uh, this brings a number of issues into par, into perspective. One uh, in terms of our uh, uh, approach generally uh, towards uh, the coverage of my. By social protection for migrant workers, and uh, and uh, and so yeah, oh, oh, uh, since yeah, since 2017 through the ICMPD, we have been implementing uh, a framework for uh, social protection for migrant workers in the re- region. Well, part part of the issues uh, drawing back on my my uh, my. The, uh, yeah, my introductory comment is that um, the focus or the, 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 uh, the approach of, of uh, the sub-regional frameworks where we have been pro, uh, 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 supporting for, for the EAC, ECOWAS, and SADEC, uh, actually largely uh, focuses on long-term, be- be- long-term benefits in the former sector, mostly uh, pensions and uh, long-term benefits related to this disability and survivor benefits. The argument in favor of this was basically uh, most most, uh, social protection schemes in the region are are already covering this long-term benefit. So the approach for social protection for migrant workers has been through uh, uh, pursuing Frameworks or sub regional instruments that through multilateral and bilateral agreements. And there was a lot of reluctance yeah in terms of the inclusion of short term benefits, sickness benefits, health benefits, maternity protection. Uh, unemployment insurance, and, uh, and uh, other forms of, of uh, safety nets. But what COVID-19 has reminded us is the importance of short-term benefits, uh, unemployment benefits, health benefits, uh, sickness benefits. And uh, these were missing in the frameworks that we have been promoting for, for um, migrant workers. There was also the, 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 the a question of, or the debate of, of eligibility of, of uh, migrants to tax funded programs, even though uh, a lot of studies have shown that uh, my, my, uh, migrant workers pay taxes and contribute significantly to, to economic uh, development of these countries. So building back bet, bet, better uh, yeah, in terms of how we we move from covid is uh, how do we put put uh, how do we actively if we are pro, pro, if, uh, if we are promoting or supporting go- governments to establish frameworks for migrant workers or or, re- or 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 regional or subregional framework for migrant workers i think uh, building back better uh, it's 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 very important that that these short term uh, measures are included that also brings me to the the, uh, the, the point of informality and, uh, 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 about 85% of uh, workers in the region work in the informal sector. What the, the, the uh, COVID response social protection measures have taught us also uh, is that uh, the majority of the measures are actually me- measures targeting uh, 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 vulnerabilities or suggesting vulnerabilities or gaps in the ex, ex, in the existing uh, in, the, in the existing programs. Eighty-four percent of all measures on the continent are towards a, 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 a non-contributory uh, arrangement. Uh, and uh, in terms of migrant workers, as we all know, work in also work. In uh, sectors that are hardest hit by the by 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 the the, uh, the, the COVID pa- pandemic and the lockdown measures, uh, this in uh, yeah this in, in, uh, 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 yeah especially workers in the hospitality and sa- sa- service sectors. Then um, of course, the uh, uh, my, my migrant workers uh, are also, uh, all all all. Uh, also heavily rep, rep, uh, represented in, in the the uh, uh the, the domestic workers uh, sector. so, uh, so uh, uh, this uh, this shows a major major gap uh, in, uh, in in the, uh, the 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 business as u- u- usual re- response um and then, and We've also seen that in some countries, even when uh, 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 there are measures in place to add, uh, attract the informal sec- uh, uh, sec- yeah, sector, there has been tremendous difficulties in, in uh, locating them and re- reaching out to them because uh, of the lack of documentation of uh, of workers, uh, uh, also in the, the, the region. Uh, We've also noticed that most of the, the, uh, uh, the responses, uh, for example, in uh, South Africa, in, uh, in Mauritius, uh, and many, many and many many countries in the region, have been, have, have, been, have benefited migrants in the former sector, uh, uh, highlighting the, the uh, gaps in coverage. Of the the uh, migrant. Then, uh, in the interest of time, uh, I'll just wrap up with an important aspect also of financing and and uh, the affordability of uh, the current frameworks of social protection for migrant workers. Most, um uh, the the regional economic communities and ca- countries in terms of uh, of how of, of social protection for migrant workers? The, uh, the question has always been how can we talk about social protection for migrants when when we are not able to, uh, uh, to provide social protection for our
2: citizens so uh, the issue uh, uh,
4: meaning that the issue of uh, affordability and uh, and uh, and uh, the the uh, the
2: financial protection for migrant workers
4: has been quite um to wrap up, uh, yeah to wrap up uh, the many me- measures that have that have indicated that 48 countries in Africa uh which, which are countries of the people in Africa have, have put putting. That uh, these are mostly temporary measures. So uh, uh, the important point going forward uh, 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 in terms of building build is how do we support uh, uh, me- member states and uh, governments and uh, and uh, uh, institutions in the region to uh, to to uh, build on or transform these temporary COVID re- 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 measures uh, into comprehensive protection measures for all, including migrant wo- workers. And i and, um, and uh, probably there will be questions on, on how we, we, uh, how, uh, uh, how we, we uh, do that going forward, and making sure that uh, uh, migrant my, my workers are effective. Thank you, Andrew, um, for this.
0: Broader perspective on social protection uh, for migrants, and I think this last question um, is particularly important. How do we have this inclusive system uh, for migrants, but also nationals, uh, when there is uh, when there are constraints on public resources? I think maybe we have only a few minutes left, so that's a question I will direct um, to Sophie or Philip. Um, and which is a question um, that Andrew raised. You know, has many countries like the capacity and the resources. Uh, What could we expect from um, the AU, the EU, or the international community to help to fill this gap, uh, to build this social protection system? This is quite broad, but maybe we can use it uh, as a conclusion for today's session.
1: Thank you. And I think it's important that to raise it, especially in this region. The the government received a lot of support uh, from international communities and donors. However, the needs are so huge that the gaps, I think, the funding uh, demand uh, for basically strengthening all these social protection mechanisms is not filled. I think uh, there would be, there would need, oops, sorry, there would be a need for far more resources, but also expertise uh, to support governments in this endeavor. I think one of the strategy which has been put in place, especially in countries which have uh, the less resources, was really to focus as well on a primary health care. And I think that's not an, I would say that's not an, but uh, that's already a good start. I think to really uh, give priority in particular to primary health care and to have it accessible, not only to the health community, but as well as migrants but it's true that this region would need far more support if we want to be credible in uh, having a better uh, social protection system. And that's another uh, important thing to consider. A lot of, uh, in a lot of uh, this country, I think social protection is available in capital and big cities There's a need to really uh, have more outreach, especially in remote area. And this is also important in terms of a uh, lack of services, which is, are also fueling uh, community tension and instability. So it's important for health consideration but it's also important in terms of security uh, consideration. So I think we we can only uh, say that uh, uh, this COVID-19 crisis it really uh, highlighted the importance of inclusion in any health responses and I think it's really important that migrants are included and if migrants are not included in the health respond for COVID, I think this response will not really work. And beyond that, uh, the last word I would like to say, it's true that COVID-19 is very important currently in this region. But what we see also as well is a, a resurgence of other disease like cholera, uh, measles, uh, Ebola in certain areas. And I think it's also important when you think about the public health response, to integrate the COVID-19 response to other uh, health uh, response to other communicable disease. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Um, maybe, Philip, if you want to add something, and then Andrew, I'll let you have a few uh, final words, uh, and we'll close the session for today.
3: Yeah, um, thank you again, Camille. I would just like to say that I'm uh, responding to Andrew's question. First, we have to recognize that I'm uh, if you want to take on responsibility, you need capacity. You know, um, there is a recognition that um, member states are stepping up. And as Andrew indicated, now we have like 48 countries, um, uh, that are um, trying to, to, to impress on their social protection record. I think that is something we need to build on. But also, when we tie that to what Sophie said, um, I think this is where the issue of partnership comes in. You know, for now, we have ILO supporting, um, IOM supporting, we will also want to call on other partners because we cannot do it alone. And like I initially stated, um, um, this COVID has hit us at a time when most of the countries are in a very vulnerable situation. So issue of partnership is very key. But I think if there's anything um, um, I could say, if there's any consolation I should take with the fact that um, the prior commitment that African countries had undertaken, you know, the signatories, to so key policy frameworks like the social protection framework, the migration policy framework, you know the adoption of the GLNP, you know the Abuja Declaration of 2001, which they are now trying to step up to. I think these are these are very encouraging signs, and if we all come together, I'm sure we should be able to build on this. And like Andrew said, we can build back better. We, we can build back better for a sustainable Africa. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew, I'll let you conclude with a few words um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll say a few final words as well. Uh, thank,
4: yeah, thank, thank, uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, generally, for social protection for migrant workers in Africa, yeah, I think um, uh, the major intervention has been through the, uh, the EU ICMPD support. Uh, to, uh that is being uh, uh, that is su- supporting the uh, that that is implemented by the, the ILO uh, uh, uh and, and uh, supporting the, the GLMP. um yeah, of course uh uh uh, um, uh the covid response has high, high has a highlighted a a, 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 a a few gaps generally uh, towards the the, um the the uh, uh, social, the approach to social protection for migrant workers this are uh, in, in, in this uh, includes uh, uh as i mentioned quickly uh the, the focus on 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 uh, for for yeah for yeah, formality uh yeah in in the midst of a huge in, yeah yeah, yeah informal arrangement. there are still issues of uh, national yeah Yeah, nationality and residence that uh, that uh, uh, that uh, we that uh, we have seen during the COVID response that uh, that uh, that are uh, hampering effectively uh, uh, reaching out to to uh, to uh, migrant workers. But importantly, um, uh, I think it's very important that we look at uh, the mix. Of policies, uh, 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 since mo- the majority of the migrant workers are in the informal sector, yeah, I think uh, uh, we need to think of innovative uh, approaches, which uh, the uh, 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 through which we, we yeah we can reach my mi- yeah migrant work- workers in in the informal uh, uh, economy. This this uh, could be through a combination of uh, of a contributory and non-contributory uh, arrangements, but also uh, there are aspects that have been uh, 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 hampering on the the, uh, 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 the, the strides that re- reaching out to migrant workers. Uh, uh, if, if, yeah, issues of documentation, issues of access to uh, uh, the information, for example, and the complexities. Around uh, uh, affiliating with uh, social protection arrangements. Yeah, yeah, I think co- yeah, collectively, if, if we have to reach out to migrants, uh, yeah, I think this this uh, uh, this is an important point. Then, of course, um, in our many consultations with gov- uh, government, uh, social partners, and uh, and uh, and uh, the think uh, there is a, a strong aspect of political will. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the my, yeah, yeah the migration governance framework, which which uh, anchors uh, 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 the cor- cor- yeah the current approach to uh, social protection for migrant uh, uh, workers, re- uh, requires a lot of policy, legal, and uh, and institutional re- uh, 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 reforms to 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 uh, uh, to, uh, to um. To, uh to um, to, uh, 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 to to provide access but finally uh, I think um, it is important as I indicated how do we move from 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 uh, this whole range of of uh, of uh, temporary me- me- measures uh, and transform them in uh, yeah into s- Sustainable social protection measures going forward. Yeah, I think this requires also engagements on 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 expanding fiscal space for social protection. From the ILO point, because if I could respond to Philip's point that. The, uh, the AU needs help. The, uh, uh, the ILO has been on the table with, with the AUC on the on uh, all the the, uh, the discussions. Sure. The ILO is also leading the uh, the the implementation of the short protection framework uh, for for the AU or migrant workers. And uh, and uh, the, the the ILO has developed so many tools and uh, and uh, and uh, capabilities yet yeah, to support uh, a, mem- a member states and uh, we are helping currently member states in in South Africa and and uh, and uh, all over the continent yeah, in terms of not only the COVID, in terms of not only the COVID response, but more importantly, uh, 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 working on uh, on uh, recovery plans for sustainable uh, 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 social sh- protection sh- 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 going forward. Uh, oh, uh, uh, thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for, for this final point, And thank you again to our three panelists today and to all the participants. Apologies for the technical issue uh, with the connection with Ethiopia. A slide and audio from today's webinar will be available a bit later at migrationpolicy.org. event. Um, and please continue to visit our website for updated research and analysis. Thank you all.